Subscribe with iTunes, Audio Boom, Stitcher, or your favorite podcasting app. And if you enjoy what you hear, like us on Facebook. Also, consider throwing a little cash our way by visiting patreon.com slash koreafm. And find more of our great content on our home on the web, koreafm.net. I'm very go- quickly going to introduce Korea FM, and then I'll introduce each of our, our guests very quickly, and then we'll just get into our, our discussion, our conversation today. Uh, so Korea FM is, uh, I guess, is still quite a new uh, English media organization which features independent podcasts, news, music uh, from all over Korea, up and down the peninsula. Uh, you can listen in various places. I'll, I'll put some links uh, up later. Uh, and uh, the head honcho, or the main man behind Korea FM, is Chance Dorland. Uh, Chance comes from a, a, a very small town in Woodward, Iowa. Uh, and uh, he created Korea FM last year. He studied broadcasting as an undergraduate. Uh, he's worked in New York and LA, and he spent uh, a large amount of time abroad in Berlin and Germany, uh, serving as a Peace Corps volunteer, and now he's living here in Seoul. So, ladies and gentlemen, if Chance yeah, Chance, can you please give Chance a very warm welcome? And one of... One of Chance's regular guests, one of the regular guests uh, on Korea FM is uh, Colin Marshall. Uh, Colin's a sole, uh, currently a sole based essayist, interviewer and public speaker. Uh, he's the author of the Los Angeles Review of Books Korea blog and formerly the host of the public radio show The Marketplace of Ideas and the podcast Notebook on Cities and Culture. He's currently working on a book called A Los Angeles Primer, Mastering the Stateless City. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Colin Marshall. And our, our, next, uh, our next guest is Travis Hull. Travis is another a regular guest on, on Korea FM. He does another podcast of chance. Uh, Travis is an American expat. He's been residing in South Korea for almost a decade. Uh, he's the leader, lead editor and moderator of Oink, only in Korea, uh, which is a, a Facebook group a very well-known Facebook group. Uh, and he also runs Asia Pundits, which is a website and microblog, uh, which shares and spreads uh, the best in breaking news and media from Asia. So ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Travis. And our, our final guest today is, is Robert Kohler. Uh, Robert was born in Long Island. He's a soul-based magazine editor, writer, and photographer. Uh, for many years, he operated the Marmot's Hole blog, uh, which was the longest-running expat blog on Korean politics and culture on the internet. Currently, he's more focused on photography. If you follow him on social media, you'll see these incredible, beautiful, striking photographs that he takes. Uh, and so, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome uh, Robert Kohler. So I'm going to hand over to Chance now for the rest of the, the session. Great. Thank you, Barry. Um, and also, I'd love to have Barry um, throw in from time to time, if, okay. if he would uh, feel so inclined. Okay, I, I'm trying. <laughs> and then um, we'll do a little bit of more introductions here. But then after that, um, anyone in the audience, we'd love to hear from you as well. Um, I'll, I'll get to a little bit more here in a second. But basically, I'm a talk radio guy. Um, and so I love um, listening to radio where people call in. Um, and so, obviously, we're all here in the same room, but feel free to call into the conversation and comment either on something we're talking about or raise something uh, that you would like to discuss. Uh, I think we're pretty much all game for many different topics today. Something that I just want to uh, add in, um, Barry mentioned that I lived in uh, Berlin, Germany, but that wasn't for the Peace Corps. Um, I was a fellow in Berlin, um, and then I served in the Peace Corps in Colombia, um, so just point of reference there. 
Um, so I'll just talk a little bit about Korea FM, and then I want to give each one of the other people here on the stage with me some time to introduce themselves a little bit. Um, but basically, as uh, Barry mentioned, Korea FM is rather new. Um, I don't have it like marked in my calendar when it actually started, but it's a little less than a year old. We kind of got off uh, the ground last year in the summer. Um, pretty much me, uh, but the other gentlemen here on the stage as well uh, appear on the podcast, and I've gotten help here and there from different people, uh, whether it was for web design or logos or something like that. But basically, you know, if you had to point to someone for CreaFM, that would be me. Um, the couple different things that we do, first off, as mentioned, we do a lot of different podcasting, which we'll be discussing here, but we also have a 24-7 music stream. Um, that's something that's very important to me. I'm a musician. I've played in a lot of, quote, indie bands in Hongdae. I play drums. And um, something that um, was one of the reasons why I started Korea FM, um, but something that I think uh, people might know about or might not know about is that there are so many talented bands. A lot of the time they play in Hongdae, uh, but other areas of the city as well. And then also I have friends that play music in Busan or Daegu or Daejeon. They don't get a lot of airplay here in South Korea. So one of the first things I wanted to do is create an online stream for not only Korean artists, some of my friends, people that I've played with, but expats as well. So if you go to koreafm.net, we have a 24-hour stream. Um, I believe we're over 50 different artists and bands right now, and we're continually adding more. So if you know someone who plays music, wants to get their music on there, uh, get in contact with me, and I'd be happy to do that. Um, as I mentioned, uh, the other side <clears throat> excuse me, of Korea FM uh, is our talk radio and news podcasts. Um, up to this point, we have about 150 different episodes that is everything from three to five minute news updates to an hour long discussion to a 10 minute um, story on something that happened here in Seoul, something Korea related, lots of different things. Um, currently, right now, Korea FM is the only English podcast featured on the front page of the iTunes store in Korea. So if you sign into iTunes with an account you made in the United States, you wouldn't see that. But if you had a Korean iTunes account, we would be on that front carousel with a bunch of different other podcasts. And once again, um, to the best of my knowledge, we're the only English podcast that's being featured. Um, I'm also pretty confident that Korea FM is the number one English podcast being made in South Korea right now. Um, there are, of course, many different podcasts being made. Um, something that probably beats us hands down is like an English language learning podcast. So something that someone would listen to to learn English. Those get so many more downloads than we do. But when it comes to original content, news, talk radio-like discussions, I pay a lot of attention to different numbers and trends. I, I feel confident that we're the number one right now. And so that puts us at about right now, um, we're about half a million downloads and streams over the last year. Um, from lots of different sources, but uh, when I tried to calculate that recently, it was about uh, 500,000 downloads and streams. Um, and you can find us, as I mentioned, in the iTunes Store, Stitcher Radio, uh, Audio Boom, all the other you know podcasting apps that you use with your phone, all the other services. We even have a YouTube channel, so it's you know listening to the podcast, but on YouTube. Um, so I'll talk a little bit about my own background here in a moment, but I want to give uh, opportunity for the three people here joining me on the stage to kind of just introduce themselves. Um, specifically, uh, what brought you to Korea? I'd love for you to mention a few things that you love about Korea, and then talk about your connection to me and Korea FM. Sure, yeah, as Barry said, my name is Colin Marshall, and uh, as you may or may not know, we all do shows with chance on Korea FM, so... I do the Korea blog podcast, and he, Chance, well, I already knew him. I interviewed him when I did a podcast here, and I did a podcast that was about cities, and it was an interview podcast that brought me here to Korea for a visit two years ago, just about. We did an interview, because uh, I knew him from his previous podcasting work, 
And we kept in touch. And when I moved here six months ago to live in Korea full time, uh, Chance said, why not do a podcast with me about the Korea blog? And the Korea blog is a blog about Korea, uh, so far so obvious, that I write about, uh, that I write for the Los Angeles Review of Books. So I moved from Los Angeles to Seoul. And um, I regularly write there with other contributors like uh, Charles Montgomery, an authority on Korean literature you you may have heard of. Uh, But we write not just about literature, but, you know, uh, life in Korea, current events, uh, other society and cultural issues, film, all that kind of thing. And so every month or so, Chance picks out something I've written about uh, on the Korea blog, and we talk about it for about half an hour. It could be coffee life in Korea. You've seen the coffee culture here, I'm sure. It's unlike anywhere else in the world. Um, English language culture, English language education culture, which is I've referred to as English cancer. I'm sure we'll get into that later. Um, things like that. And I, as I say, I moved here six months ago, so I'm the newest expat of all the American expats up on this stage. And uh, you wanted us to say something we love about Korea? Is that So I love the convenience of Korea. Um, there's no place in America that compares, and I include uh, you know, Manhattan in that. I, it's, uh, this is, I'm interested in cities, as I mentioned. I also write about cities for The Guardian, and Seoul is a very good example of uh, where cities are going and, and the advantages and the advantages they have and what they can become. Uh, you see a lot of that in Seoul. Something that I really enjoy about Colin is he interviewed me, as you mentioned, a little while ago, uh, some time ago, actually, for his podcast that he was doing. Um, so podcasts bring people together, I guess, is, is what I'm trying to say here. Great uh, connector. Wh- why don't we continue on here, Robert? A little bit about yourself, what brought you here to Korea. And uh, as, as I just had Colin do, and I'll mention myself, I want to just point out some things we enjoy about Korea, because when sometimes you talk about Korean news, I think it's important to always have that aspect as well. Um, as we'll get to, I love Korea, and I choose to live here for a reason. I think it's a great place, especially here in Seoul. Yeah, what, what brought me here? Um, yeah, it's been a long time, so I'm not sure if I can actually remember. Um, I guess a plane. Um, um, I came here, uh, I'm Robert, and uh, formerly of the Marmot's Hole. Um, I came here in 1997, uh, originally as an English teacher. I did that for a couple of years. Uh, and then I... Uh, came up to the Seoul area to do some graduate work, and uh, after that did some translating, and uh, I've been at a publishing company for the last 10 years. Um, as to, you know, why Korea, I guess, um, you know, originally I, I, I actually didn't think I'd like it when I came here. Um, I, like you, I had applied to the Peace Corps coming out of university. Unlike you, um, I uh, didn't actually go. Um, Which, by the way, just a real, real quick interruption, I had a very bad Peace Corps experience. Feel free to talk to me about it. I don't want to make it about the Peace Corps, but I often wish that I had not served in the Peace Corps. So touche to you, Robert. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I guess maybe I, I, uh, I dodged the bullet. But um, so, um, but uh, yeah, actually, uh, my initial intra- area of interest coming out of university was uh, not Asia, but Africa, um, and, which is why I was applying to the Peace Corps. Um, unfortunately, uh, the year I applied, there were no particular positions with my particular for my for a person with my particular skill set, which is n- not many skills at all. Um, um, so I thought I'd come here, teach a year, and then uh, reapply to the Peace Corps. But um, I, I got sent to I, I asked to be sent to a very very small town, uh, and they obliged and sent me to a small town in the in the middle of nowhere. Uh, a couple of hours north of Daegu in uh, Gyeongsangbukdo, 
Um, and uh, quite unexpectedly, I just really liked it. And one year turned into two, turned into three, and now it's been close to 20 years now. Um, as far as my relationship with Chance, um, I think you've been, I think you asked me to, to do the podcast, and I, I'd been wanting to do a podcast for a while myself. Um, ironically, when we started to do the podcast, uh, that was pretty much the exact time that I stopped doing my blog, um, which made it a bit awkward at first. <laughs> you know, it's the Marmot's Hall podcast by the guy who used to do the Marmot's Hall. Um, but, uh, you know, and things, in, I, you asked, you know, what do we like about Korea? Um, I mean, that's something I really can go on all day about. Um, especially living in Seoul, it's a, it's, it's a very vibrant city. It's a city that I, you know, not just a city, but a country that I do think is going in the right direction. I mean, sometimes when we look at the news that's coming out of, you know, the United States, for example, you know, we like, you know, what the hell is going on is, you know, it looks like things are going in a very, very bad direction. But here in Korea, I mean, obviously Korea, like any other place, has, has problems. But I generally feel like, you know, the, the, the future is, is better. Like, it's, it's moving in, in, a, in a brighter direction. Um, and that's something I don't think we can say for other countries around the world. Um, and including our homeland. Including our homeland. Although uh, I don't like talking about Donald Trump because he gets so much free press, but he has fallen as of late. So perhaps not as bad as we thought it might be in the United yeah, States. We have other problems besides Donald Trump. Yeah. Right. And uh, yeah, I, could, yeah, I don't want to predict anything in, about this election cycle, the way it's worked out. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it definitely feels like it's going in the right direction. And yeah, just living in Seoul is such an energy packed city. Um, and it's a city where, I mean, the, the very old and the very new exist really side by side. And uh, that, that, it's that tension between the old and new that really, I find it very exciting. And it's something that I, I, I really enjoy about living here. And then last but certainly not least, um, probably the person that uh, perhaps I've been gauging with on a more regular basis the longest, um, my, my friend Travis. Um, what do we do here on Korea FM? Why, what brought you to South Korea, and what do you enjoy about the ROK? Uh, thank you, everyone, for coming. Again, my name is Travis. Um, I, me and Chance met each other just um, through interacting on social media. I was running a website called Asia Pundits, and I think Chance, he had an article for me one time. We kind of got chatting that way. Yeah, I, I believe I wrote about, uh, unfortunately, um, I can't remember the exact country, but uh, a student from a country in Africa was told... Um, I can't remember exactly who you would attribute this to, but either the government or the organization that was running the government program that he uh, had been applied to and accepted into to, to do a degree here in South Korea, it was during Ebola, and he was told that he could not come to South Korea um, because he was from a country in an area where it was taking place, but I believe his country either had no cases or just a handful of cases. So I was able to interview him, talk to him about that. He was very gracious and sort of understood the situation and said he would just come to Korea six months or a year later. Yeah. 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 So I think it's kind of how we got to know each other. Um, we were both kind of active on social media and we uh, chatted a while. And then after, I think around the beginning of this year, we got in touch and started talking about doing a podcast. So we released the first episode, um, I think around the first of the year, probably. Um, as far as what brought me to Korea, I um, I came over here in a very stereotypical way. I um, came and taught English to kindergartners my first year here. And um, I guess that was kind of a unique experience for me because I was 23 years old at the time. And 
I had a lot of energy then. Um, I don't think I could be doing that same work now, but um, I guess I just kind of liked it when I got here. And um, one year kind of led to the next. And I did take a break about five years ago, and I taught English in Cambodia for a while. Um, but the lifestyle there is a little bit um, different than here, and I missed it, so I came back. And now I've been back this time about four years, and um, I'm doing corporate training and stuff now, so um, along with the group Oink, which I run. Um, Oink is kind of an interesting group. Um, <laughs> we kind of have a reputation for being a little bit negative towards Korea, but that's not actually really how I see it. Um, I started the group as kind of just observational humor on things foreigners might notice about Korea that um, perhaps Korean people might nece not necessarily pick up on because they're so they're already so ingrained in the society. So it started out with like 200 of my Facebook friends, and we've kind of grown over the years. Um, we have about 8,400 members right now. Um, and with that growth, we've actually had to take on a variety of issues um, that I didn't even want to discuss. Um, but I guess, you know, with that many people, there's going to be um, issues that want to be taken on. So lately, you know, there's been issues such as um, there was a murder in Gangnam um, a few weeks ago. And, um, you know, a lot of our members are discussing these days like misogyny in Korea and, and whether, you know, even misogyny within the group that I run um, and, you know, um, casual racism that, that foreigners kind of engage in. So, there, you know, we've kind of um, started to veer towards more difficult issues um, as the group has, has progressed. Um, our group has also been involved in a little bit of social activism here. We, um, over the Christmas season, we um, gathered um, donations from our members. Um, we prepared sandwiches. We went outside Seoul Station. We handed out food to the homeless. And we had a second event this year, I think in April, where we did the same thing. So we still have a little bit of funding on that. We plan to do one more event this summer um, to uh, get rid of the funds we've received from our members. Um, one thing that I like about Korea, I guess uh, that's, I mean, obviously I've lived here 10 years, so I really like living in Korea. Um, as these guys have mentioned, you know, Seoul is a very vibrant place to live. I, I'm not so sure I'd want to live anywhere else outside of Seoul in the countryside, but I do like Seoul. Um, I like how the culture here is 24 hours a day. You can get something done always. It's, it's always open. Um, in terms of safety, um, you know, we just had a mass shooting in America. You would never, ever have that happen here in Korea. I mean, it has happened before, but it doesn't happen very often. And I like that about Korea. I like that when I walk down the street at night, I know that someone who's uh, approaching me doesn't, uh, isn't potentially armed, and that safety issue is big. Um, I guess my friends are here. You know, all my friends have uh, stayed over the years, too, so that's, that's another thing. Um, anyway, I'll give it back to Chance here. It's nice to uh, kind of see some faces that I know and some that I don't, and maybe we'll kind of continue discussion as we go on. Excellent. So uh, just another thing, point of reference I want to make. So um, we have the Only in Korea podcast, the Marmot's Hole podcast, and the Korea Blog podcast, as well as um, other things I do where I, I do reports um, in various capacities for different uh, companies that I work for. And I often will do an extended version of that or something that maybe perhaps was censored a bit. Um, and then sometimes just something that I think is worthwhile to add um, and put it on Korea FM. And so all this together is just one podcast. It's called the Korea FM Talk Radio and News Podcast. And so once again, you can get that through iTunes or uh, Stitcher or all those other things. 
So uh, I'll introduce myself, and then we'll move into some topics that I want to discuss. And once again, I'd love to hear from um, people in the audience. So uh, hopefully Barry could be the man on the spot with the microphone. Because um, we are recording this, so this will be up on the Korea FM Talk Radio News Podcast, um, hopefully sometime in the next couple of days. Very long episode. Um, so more about me. Uh, I'm American. Uh, I'm a broadcaster. I've been here in South Korea for about three years. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, I started Korea FM about a year ago. Um, because I love radio. I love talk radio. And nowadays that kind of means I also like podcasts. But when I was growing up, that wasn't a thing. So I'm a talk radio guy. Um, so first off, I wanted to do Korea FM because I wanted to spend time doing what I love and then also discuss the things that are important to me. I live in South Korea. Some of these issues are very important to me, and I just find them interesting. Um, but also a very large part of that is that I don't think that you know South Korean English radio, television, and to a lesser extent, newspapers, um, because there is a lot of difference, not only just company to company, but the medium that they're operating in. I, I often don't think that they do, they do a good enough job of reporting the news and also discussing issues in a way that makes sense. Um, sometimes you can have you know both sides of an issue, but when one side probably is a little bit more correct or you know, needs to be heard from a little bit. I don't often see that sometimes. Um, but like I said, I think newspapers in South Korea often do a very good job to a lesser extent, television and radio. Um, and because my Korean language skills, I, I've studied at a university, but they're not as high as Robert, for instance, and, and Colin is, is definitely kicking my butt nowadays. Um, I can't often pay attention to the Korean side of things, but I do sometimes, and I've talked with lots of different reporters that work on English side or the Korean language side, and some of the problems that I see exist in both places, and they're definitely often um, a little bit more of a problem on the English side of things. Um, so for that reason, started Korea FM about a year ago. Um, I've lived in multiple countries, Colombia, Germany, here in South Korea, all over the United States. I studied broadcasting in college. Um, so unlike a lot of the people that I work with um, in, in a freelance capacity here in South Korea, I have a very strong background, and I also identify as a broadcaster. Um, and that's a choice that I've made. But I think that we need more of that in South Korea. So people that are working at English radio stations, television stations, newspapers, they need to identify as a journalist or as you know, that thing as opposed to someone who has a job and that's what they do, but maybe they don't have a background. And I think that creates some of the problems I just talked about. Um, and then finally, what I love about South Korea, um, I love South Korean food. Um, my girlfriend's Korean. We have lots of, you know, expat friends, lots of Korean friends. And when people introduce themselves to me and they meet me for the first time, um, they're often very astonished and they sometimes don't believe me when I say I only eat Korean food. I will eat pizza from time to time. I'll eat some other things, especially if I'm at an event. But more or less, my girlfriend and I, we only eat Korean food. Um, and so that's, that's really one of the first things I love about Korea. Um, and secondly, aside from all the things that you guys just mentioned, which I would probably echo, I'm a really big fan of Korean people. I have lived in, like I mentioned, Germany. I love Germany. If you want to go somewhere, I recommend going to Germany. Uh, Colombia, I was in a very different part, uh, time of my life. I was a Peace Corps volunteer. You know, I wasn't being paid, and I was in a very different situation. Colombian people are also very warm and, and gracious and outgoing. But what I find here in South Korea is that when I meet people, they're always so nice. They're so engaging. They're often very intelligent. Um, sometimes, even if they've only lived in Korea their entire lives, they know a lot about the United States. They know a lot about other countries. Um, and I just find that so attractive and refreshing. I really like Korean people. 
Um, so now, uh, I would like to discuss a few things that we've been discussing on the different podcasts that we do for Korea FM. Open it up to comments from the people in the audience, and then also, of course, from you three as well. Um, so a couple of topics that we've been talking about lately in the last month or so. Um, only in Korea, this Facebook group, um, they kind of, I don't know if I'd call it activism, but it's, there were some real-world consequences of a discussion that took place um, in the Only Korea Facebook group having to do with English media here in South Korea. Um, that was what Travis and I recently discussed. Robert and I recently discussed air pollution in South Korea. And Colin, something he just mentioned, um, recently we discussed what he called uh, English cancer that um, is in South Korea. Or at least maybe you could have a perspective where you could look at English as some sort of disease like a cancer. Um, and what I liked about this specifically, Colin tweeted earlier today to um, come to this event and prepare for truth bombs um, at the live podcast. And I think that's a great way to describe this English topic because I think truthfully, if you look at it, there are a lot of uncomfortable issues surrounding South Korea's fascination, uh, fascination with, with English and on the whole industry that's built around that. Um, so uh, I'll, I'll throw it out to you three. Would anyone like to start on one of these topics? Robert's been here the longest. Yeah, where the hell did Barry go? <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, Barry's back there. He'll, uh, he'll hopefully chime in. And if you have uh, anything you'd like to add, just raise your hand and he'll give you a microphone. Mm-hmm. What are we talking about when we talk about air pollution in South Korea? Obviously, South Korea, if you go on the subway or go to a public space, you will see people wearing masks. Um, and sometimes that's tied to worries about air pollution or, or uh, if someone has a, you know, an illness and they don't want to spread. But um, recently, air pollution is a topic that's being covered more in South right. Korea. And why is that? What are we talking about? Oh, I mean, well, like today, I mean, the air quality has just been shitty. So, I mean, it's... How it, was it when you got here? How was it when I got here? Well, the thing is, when I got here... Back in 97, I lived uh, outside of Seoul, mm. and it was very nice where I was, but then again, there was, you know, like I said, it was the middle of nowhere. Um, you'd hope it'd be nice. Um, when I came up to Seoul first, it was, it's hard to remember, but it's somewhat like it is now, but what's kind of interesting is that for a while, it was getting considerably better. Um, yeah, there was a point where yeah, the, the the improvement in the air quality in Seoul was it was very very noticeable. I mean, there was a you know the changeover in the buses. They started using the uh, natural gas run uh, buses. Um, there, you know, the transportation system changed. There were a lot of uh, measures that were put into place to improve the air quality in the city, and they and they were working. But over the last, you know, especially over the last year, um, things have taken a a very decided turn for the worse. And, of course, the big debate um, is what's the cause of that? Is it mostly local um, in terms of, uh, you know, coal-fired plants and uh, other, uh, what do you call it, um, thermal power uh, stations? Uh, is, is that the main cause? Is it, you know, diesel-powered vehicles in Seoul or whatnot? Is that the cause? Or, as is often said, um, either in the media or just, you know, on, on the street, is, it, is the problem primarily because of China. Um, and this is something that um, I think uh, as we conduct more studies on this, I think we'll, we'll soon find, uh, get a more definitive answer. But obviously during the podcast, uh, I know you cited the, uh, the, the Greenpeace 
study that said something, I think, was it 60 to 70 um, Sometime within, the, I think it was a year ago, yeah. I actually interviewed someone from uh, the Greenpeace office here in Seoul. Right. Um, it was a Greenpeace Harvard study um, that found that 50 to 70% of the, um, ooh, what is it, PM, EM 2.5, something, something 2.5, which right. is the technical term for this fine dust particle, came from South Korea. So homegrown pollution. Obviously, that can change day to day, season to season, but that's what that study said. Right. Um, Seoul Metropolitan Government ran its own study and, and determined that, I mean, even the Seoul Metropolitan Government study, I know I don't have the figures you know, right here off with me, but I think off the top of my head, even they said 40% was locally produced. Yeah, I think it's like 40 or 50%. Right. Yeah. And you know, even with that, some of it's broken down, some of it's in Seoul, some of it's from Gyeonggi-do. So, I mean, even if you accept the 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 government uh, you know, the government study on this um, it, it's a considerable amount of it is being is being uh, produced in, within the country right and now obviously uh, what you do about that becomes very very complicated I know on the podcast we discussed that you know even within the government different ministries here are fighting about this the ministry of, of the and, and there's right. often miscommunication or no communication between the different ministries right. or even within the same ministry. Right, um, you know, and, and you know, anywhere in any country, you know, the environment and what to do about it—it's it, a tricky situation because you run into other, um, you know, everybody. You know, when you ask the public, do you think would you like to live in a clean country? Would you like clean air? Everybody says yes, but then when you start, you know, looking at measures that to cut down on uh, on 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 the pollution getting released into the air. Um, it, you know, it's uh, how much do you want to pay for it? You know, do you do you really want to pay higher? You know, and you, do you really want to pay higher energy cost? Do you want to pay more for uh, you know uh, you, you know to fill up your car? Um, you might lose your job over some of these measures, right? You know, if you're a diesel truck driver or every know, business. Right. Uh, we mentioned coffee shops. Every place you go here in Seoul and probably across the country has air conditioning. It seems right. I mean, this doesn't come out of nowhere, right? Mm-hmm. Or you know, even if you know, I mean, for example. Um, you know, do you want to live with more nuclear power stations, right? Um, I mean, one of the things that the, uh, that the, uh, I think, I forget which ministry it is, um, has been complaining about is saying, oh, the reason why we're running so many thermal power plants is because, you know, we've had to, uh, y- y- we've had to scale back, you know, construction of nuclear power plants, right? Because nobody wants to live next to a nuke plant, but, you know, nuke plants are clean, well, I guess, you know, relatively speaking, right, they, le- they release less stuff into the air anyway. Um, but, you know, that's a problem. Um, so, the, you know, the answers are complex, right? And then, yeah, you've got the China factor, that how, even if you do all these things, you know, depending on how much is coming in from China, it might not make a, as much of a difference as you like. And it's funny because what you just said, whatever you do, it might not make a difference because of China. This is something that gets discussed in the U.S. Oh, yeah. Should we change the way we pollute the world. Well, let, let's not worry because China's not going to change. India's not going to change. And then they, you know, perhaps an argument on their side of things, you know, while the U.S. and, you know, other parts of the world have polluted for decades, now it's our turn to build infrastructure and we shouldn't be held to the same type of regulations because we need to build up our countries like they've been doing. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, if you're China, you're going to say, you know, well, we're going to have to, yeah, we can't drive a car. Yeah, we can't have two cars or... Uh, you know, a gazillion refrigerators or, you know, run the air conditioning all the time because, uh, you know, because it's going to screw up your environment, you know, F you, right? Um, <laughs> you know, and there's a lot of kinds, not just China. I mean, I think the Brazilians make that argument in terms of, you know, the rainforests. 
Um, there's a lot of countries that make that argument, and they're not necessarily wrong. Um, so what you do about it becomes a very, very complex thing. And yeah, and also on a local level, like I think you know, um, I'm not from California, but I listen to podcasts from California, and I know a lot of uh, people there complain that uh, I think whether you have a carbon trading regime there, that's uh, you know, it's like even if we do this thing, I mean, you know, not just China, but the rest of the United States doesn't do it. So you know, just because California does it, you know, it drives up costs, it has an economic impact, but you know, ultimately, the actual real impact in terms of the impact on the environment is is negligible. It's basically, you know, uh, you know, the political equivalent of uh, virtue signaling, um, except it actually has an economic impact on, on on residents. So, yeah, I mean, it's what do you do? I don't know. Real quick, if I could get everyone in the audience to participate, just with a show of hands, if uh, you had to say. Uh, is more of South Korea's air pollution that we you know, would experience outside today, is that because of something happening in South Korea or is that because of China? Where would you place your vote? Who thinks South Korea itself is more responsible um, than outside factors such as China? Would you say it's maybe, maybe a little less than half, half-ish? And then who thinks that China is the biggest culprit in this issue? Come on, all you sinophobes, raise those hands. So less, less people think China's to blame, but, you know, it, it's not a huge victory on either side. Right, and there's other things, too. I mean, even if, you know, even with what kind of impact China's having, like one of the things with the NASA study is, uh, and I, I think you, you, may have know, you may know that, uh, that the United States and Korea have been running this uh, joint uh, up until recently, I think they finished, but they're running a joint uh, study on, on air quality in Seoul. Quite fascinating. Any NASA? A lot of reporters, friends of mine on Facebook, right. they're all taking their turns to go up in the big plane. Right. And, and Instagram city, the city from above is great. <laughs> um, anyway, um, you know, one of the things that they're looking at is what kind of, you know, exactly, even if it is local or even if it is from China, you know, how do, you know, when, the two, when you have particular matter coming in from China, you know, mixing in, it is an actual scientific process in terms of the, when, you know, two things meet and then what kind of impact it has. So that's one of the things they're looking at because, up, and frankly, nobody can explain it yet. So, uh, you know. Hmm? Oh, okay. Yeah. So uh, finish your thought and then we'll go to um, an audience member. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, that's basically it. I mean, I think there's so many things we don't know. Uh, about the you know the the processes involved that uh, you know uh, it's it's it, at this point it's really hard to say. Excellent. So first audience participation. Feel free to introduce yourself in any way you see fit, and then uh, yeah, say your piece. Hello, I'm Kelly Falconer, the founder of the Asia Literary Agency. It's nice to meet you guys. I'm here for the book fair. Um, but I wanted to comment on the air pollution. I lived in Hong Kong for four years and over the and just went back to London at the end of August. And one of the things that I noticed most about Hong Kong was the increase in air pollution and the, the decrease in the air quality while I was there over the four years. And um, I heard a talk, um, I can't remember who it was, I'm afraid, but it's, it's, it's actually a lot of the causes of pollution in these cities is, is in the ports. Mm -hmm. So we have these huge container ships idling um, and the pollution that they're um, emitting into the atmosphere is really affecting these port cities like Seoul and Hong Kong. And it isn't, you know, it, it might be a little bit from China, but actually we've got to think about how we're going to clean up the ports. And as, the, as Seoul and other cities, um, well, Seoul in particular, as Seoul becomes more um, industrialized, 
and as it becomes um, um, uh, 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 more influential economically, you know, then it will we will have more port traffic, won't we? Because we're exporting and importing more goods and services, so that will impact on the the air quality if the ports don't clean themselves up. Well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's I think that seems like more of an issue for the city of Incheon than it does for Seoul. I think Seoul's big problem is it sits in a basin mm. um, where everything is, you know we're being surrounded by mountains that anything that does come in gets caught up. Um, in my experience, actually, I mean, again, I don't have data to look at this. I could be way off, but every time I go to Incheon, the air quality actually seems a little bit better than here. Yeah, I've um, followed the, those numbers that you can get just free online, and Seoul seems to be much worse um, than something like Busan and even just a little bit west. Right, like Maybe. Busan usually is a little bit better than here. Incheon usually a little bit better than here. I mean, just, just this is, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Just based on my own limited observations. Right? Yeah, no, you raise an excellent Perhaps it point. Is, you know, direction of the wind, etc. I don't know the wind patterns and the you know the, the pattern of the sea and how that affects the wind patterns. But obviously, I mean, it is obviously and, and very w proven that it is partly port traffic that impacts okay. on. How how was the air in air Hong quality. Kong, by the way? Terrible. Ter is it? I mean, it's like peace the whole soup. time you were there. Uh, no, I mean, in, when it would um, in the autumn when the weather becomes clearer and dries up a bit, then. Um, the air does, you do see the blue sky, but it was no, um, in 2015, the first three months that we were there, you know, you didn't see the sun for days. I mean, for months, actually, for months. When the, a lot of us who were living there were commenting on the fact that we'd be watching, you know, UK TV and saying, oh, the sun. Because really... You, you know, know it's oh. bad when you comment that the sun is good in the UK. Indeed. I mean, right. we really, you, I'm not exaggerating. Oh. You, we did not, it was like pea soup for three months oh. solid. So basically, it basically looks like Blade Runner, basically yeah. what we're talking about, yeah. Well, now you're making it sound good. Yeah, it has its charms, you know I mean? Uh, so, uh, oh, I think we have another hand, Barry, if we want to get the microphone over there. Uh, but first off, uh, Colin, you've been looking like a racehorse the entire time trying to get in the conversation, so if you'd like to add anything else, or Travis, do, do you have anything? Uh, I mean, Travis, you've lived here for a long time, not as much as Barry, but more than Colin. I, I've noticed it's gotten worse over the years, too. Um, it seems like there's always a season for it in the beginning of this, you know, in the beginning of the year, March, April are usually pretty bad. Um, but this year it's, you know, we're still in June right now and it's still bad. Um, I have noticed, though, that over the years the, you know, the common trope, like a few years ago, if you meet a, a typical person on the street, they would say, yeah, uh, all this yellow dust is coming from China and it's China's fault. Um, nowadays it seems like that perception has changed. And I think partly it's to do with the Greenpeace study that was released last year. Um, it seems like the public's perception is changing. Uh, before, if I had said, you know, maybe it's partly Korea's fault for all these coal uh, powered uh, power plants to some students, Ooh. I would have probably I could have lost my job for that a few years back. But now, um, I you know I, I teach uh, corporate execs, and they they've come around to this idea that yeah, it's partly China's fault, and it's also partly Korea's fault. And um, I think that's you know a good uh, sea change that people are kind of recognizing that yeah, it's you know it's it's partly. Um, it's partly our own doing. So it, maybe that's a good thing that um, the public perception on this issue is changing. Okay. Uh, yeah, another comment from the audience? Uh, I wonder if it is, well, in fact, it's really main concern, but uh, in priority wise. But uh, my question is, I think I'm not special at all, but uh, having lived in uh, uh, five different countries I mean, uh, about 15 I mean, uh, uh, years, for example, uh, many people are talking about air pollution, but uh, what about the uh, kind of uh, indoor air pollution? I think that depends on, right? Mm -hmm. There are a lot of uh, 
kind of acts, causes and effects and, uh, you know, control uh, measures. But, uh, you know, this is one of the, I mean, the worst experience I had about 22 years ago. I visited Shanghai as a businessman. I'm sorry to talk about China, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I just happened to be, be invited to a discotheque uh -huh. by my, my general manager there, okay, when I was working my company. Oh, my goodness. At the time, I was having a little trouble with my left eye, but I got infected, you know. 100% carpet was made of PP, how, how can I say, chemical PP, mm. right? Mm. The dust. Mm. So what about, you, you are concerned about the uh, uh, kind of air pollution, but what about indoor, mm. I mean, kind of, kind of uh, air pollution, con general condition, what would you think of that? I, I hate to go to a karaoke in the basement, Rob, <laughs> second floor. One thing well, that yeah, I can just throw in, Rob, you can mention as well, but one thing that Korea has done that should definitely be applauded for, huh? amazing job, you don't smoke inside anymore. That's impressive, because you guys know a couple years ago, everywhere you were smoking. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, and I, I know that the government itself has been kind of concerned about this, not just the smoking, but uh, recently they released a study that said, uh, for example, uh, cooking uh, a particular, I forget the, the fish. Right. It was a mackerel, right? Right. Um, was creating a whole lot of indoor particulate uh, pollution. Uh, there were a couple of other things that they pointed out as well. I don't like. I can't exactly remember the article, but the mackerel uh, was uh, the one that that that's that's that stuck out. So um, there is concern about that as well. Um, but you know, I think it's just more. No the outdoor air pollution is much more noticeable because I mean, it's it's just it, it's there, right? I mean, you have to wear a mask when you go out. Um, and I again, I pointed this on the. We talked about this on the podcast, but um, my job, uh, part of my job is uh, I do a lot of photography, and uh, it's, really, uh, it's really caused a lot of difficulty. Not only me. hard to take photos sometimes, but to decide where and when to oh, take right. photos. Well, the other issue, too, that with the air pollution thing that, uh, that again, we discussed, but uh, predicting it has been a real problem. In fact, the NASA study, again, that's one of the main impetus of why yeah, of 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 starting this this joint study with the U.S. was that the uh, the the Korean meteorological authorities were just having such a difficult time predicting, um, you know, when this when the particulate matter was going to be bad. I mean, they go out and predict it was going to be a good day, and then it would be terrible. And you know, I had a I I planned a trip to the middle, you know, to Bosung down in in Cheonamdo. That's like a five hour bus ride away, and uh, I put it off because the uh, the authorities said it was going to be a bad. Hongsa Day, and uh, it was the nicest day of the year. And then I went the next week when they said it was good, and it was like visibility that was, you know, like I could hardly see. I, I wouldn't be able to see the, the sign over there. Um, so it was, uh, yeah, there's been a couple of studies, and I think, uh, I forget exactly the percentage, but they have a, re a really bad track record. So they brought in the, uh, the NASA and the rest of the guys to try to figure out why they're having such a difficult time making predictions. Now, to be fair to them, I'm not sure how bad they are compared to, let's say, the, 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 the meteorological authorities in Japan or in China. I mean, I think maybe, you know, maybe China is easy. It's just bad every day. But, <laughs> um, but you know, I, I'm not sure if they're just unusually bad or they're just, you know, having the same type of difficulty that everybody is, everybody else has. We're trying to, you know, uh, try to, you know, 
uh, you know, make predictions here. I think now uh, I'll move on to Colin's topic, and we can finish um, with uh, with the Oink group. But of course, Travis, you can throw in any time you'd like to. Um, you wrote a very nice write-up for the LA Review of Books Korea blog, Colin. Um, I forget the exact wording, but it's like, is English in South Korea a good thing, or is it a bad thing? And if it's a bad thing, the way you described it, or maybe it could be described is, is it English cancer? So why don't you kind of introduce that topic? Yeah, the title of that essay was uh, Korea's English Fever or English Cancer. English fever is a common term to describe. Just how, you, you know how much money goes into English education here. Uh, the, the academies, many, many foreigners here work as English teachers at one point or another. Um, and a lot, I start off in that essay talking about commercials I've seen. I think if you watch Korean TV, you've seen these. Uh, for an app called Speaking Max. It's an English learning smartphone app. And the scenario was always the same in these commercials. It's somewhere in Seoul, maybe in a library, maybe on the street. You know, a Korean girl is walking down the street uh, holding her English textbook, and then a foreigner, looking like any of us, uh, comes up to her and just in English starts yammering, uh, hey, do, do you speak English? Do you, do, you, do you know where Gangnam is? Or, you know, the same thing, someone in the library, a Korean, is watching CNN on their laptop, and then here comes the white guy, just, just spouting off in English, needing help. And every time when they get these questions, the Koreans, by some special effect, just sweat gushes out from their neck, just like a fountain. And every English ad that I see, every, every ad about English education or English institutes, English apps, English whatever, English textbooks, they play on this fear, which is that, hey, you Koreans, You've studied English a long time, but we know you can't speak it. We know you're afraid, and we know you're ashamed. We know. We know, yeah. And we know the implications of the Speaking Max commercial especially fascinated me, because not only does it imply that foreigners feel entitled to go around speaking English to Koreans in Korea, which uh, I don't believe they should, um, Koreans feel obligated to respond in English, which is to me the very striking thing. I mean, I go, I go to Japan frequently, and I like Korea better than Japan for a number of ways, for a number of, in a number of ways for a number of different reasons. But in Japan, the nice thing is, the assumption is the language of this country is Japanese. If you go there, you've got to speak some Japanese. You've got, you're going to have to learn some. People aren't going to speak English to you, with certain exceptions. And they'll, they'll work with you. They won't expect perfection. They, and they think foreigners cannot speak Japanese perfectly, even if they can. But it's acknowledged that the language is Japanese in Japan. In Korea, no matter how well you speak Korean, and I'm not saying I'm very good, but even near-native quality foreign speakers encounter this, they go to a Starbucks, and they, they, they don't know what they're going to hear back when they order in Korean. It could be Korean, it could be English, but maybe English they're not going to be able to understand. It could be some weird mishmash of Korean with English words they didn't need to include. And uh, I, it occurred to me over time that this English fever was really more like a cancer on the society. It was uh, the industry especially, but the, this feeling of guilt and obligation that has seeped into the society surrounding a foreign language, which is not sufficiently acknowledged as a foreign language. Some, maybe many Koreans, will be interested in learning English and will want to make the sacrifices to master English. That's not going to be everyone. Some people's interests are different, but they're still obligated to study English for a good chunk of their lives. Uh, and, I mean, as we all know, so they can pass the English section of the Sunung Shihom to get into a good college, because that's the only section that separates Korean students out enough to sort them into the college hierarchy. And, uh, you know, I, with friends, Korean and non-Korean, often we have discussions, what would you change? What's one thing you'd change about Korea? 
my answer is always, take English off the soon. Uh, replace it with memorizing the digits of pi or something, because, I mean, what you get is a population ashamed that they have spent 10 years learning English when they really haven't. And it's an unrealistic expectation that a population of a country in East Asia is going to get the kind of grasp on English official Korea expects uh, or imagines. I was talking to a, a, I won't name names, but a, quite an eminence, an eminent figure here in Korea interviewing him. And he was saying, you know, why, can't, why aren't we like Sweden? Look at Sweden. They all speak English. They speak Swedish, but they all speak English. I don't think that's an, that's an unreasonable comparison. I mean, it's, it's, uh, in, in Europe, you're surrounded by neighbors who all speak different languages. There is a polyglot culture on that continent. Here, your neighbor is North Korea. I mean, and if there was unification, we're all waiting for it, maybe Chinese would be the language to learn. But it's not going to be English. I mean, and then there's the idea that it is English and that the English is going to take hold in the way they want. Uh, is, it's really more like a disease than anything. That's English cancer for you. Yeah, like I said, I, I think um, the way you described it, truth bombs, I think there's a lot of uncomfortable truth um, surrounding um, the English education industry here in South Korea. Um, would also love to hear from, from Travis, since you're, you're currently working in the industry, and Robert, um, you know, you, in the past you have, but you've lived here for well, so yeah, long. I've, I've gone on, I've, 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 I've gone on public record on, on a, in Korean language media about this. Um, well, I just want to point it, out yeah. public record, Korean language media and Korean English media is completely different. You talk to reporters or people that work on the English side of things, they'll often talk about how they feel a little insulated when they report a story because it's not on the Korean sphere. It's right. not on the Korean language side of things. Right. Well, I mean, like Colin, this is one of those issues that just really uh, kind of annoys the crap out of me. I mean, I try to, I mean, think about it like this. I mean, can you imagine the, the amount of stress that we'd put on, like, American high school kids if uh, they had to, you know, spend their high school years preparing for getting a good grade on the, on the topic, you know, the uh, Korean <laughs> language proficiency exam, right? And, and like they don't need your, to speak Korean. Right. Your level of Korean is going to do, you know, determine whether you get into Harvard or not, mm -hmm. right? It's insane. I mean, the amount of time that... And it's not just... And it doesn't stop after, co after college. Oh, no. You know, it, no, you know, not You've got to keep studying and studying to, you know, get promoted at work. Um, for your I, job that doesn't require English. For, you're right. I mean, my I, girlfriend and 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 some of her friends, because um, you know we hang out with a lot of her friends, and my girlfriend and I are both around 30 years old. Um, a topic that comes up a lot is that even though they might not necessarily use English in their job, is that they have to continually take tests to get better positions or to um, just just to stay a viable candidate. They have to take these English tests. As right. a thirty-year-old woman, right? No, I mean, you know, back when I was uh, when I when I was living in the countryside, I was living in this town called Mungyong, and it, you, maybe some of you know it, maybe some of you don't. Um, it's the second smallest city in Korea, um, and I taught, <laughs> or was, you know, it was Tebekshi and then Mungyongshi. You know, they were very proud of that she part. Um, um, so I, one of my one of my jobs when I was teaching is I taught a whole bunch of people at, at Mungyong City Hall, and a lot of them were there because they, I mean, they had to you know improve their, uh, their you know their their English language uh, proficiency scores to get get promoted at work, and none of them really. I mean, there were at one point there were two English speakers in the town, me and some other Canadian guy, right, who was married to a local, right, so. You know, there was no need for them to learn it. The best English speaker in the city hall was, you know, her job was registering, you know, with car registrations, 
right? Local car. I mean, there was no need to learn it, but you, you needed to to get promoted. Um, and the, the level of insanity this could take uh, uh, is really quite astounding, uh, especially the last presidential administration email, uh, during the email Bach administration. Now, personally... Um, I, I like, I kind of, especially now, I kind of miss Emil Bach, considering what <laughs> came later. And, the, uh, um, um, t and uh, there was a lot that I liked about the guy, but one of the things that, and it started right even when, you know, during his transition team, right even before he took office. One of the most insane things I've ever seen was when they were talking about adopting English language immersion education in Korea. And uh, you know, I, one day the... the while this was going on, the Hungary 21 magazine called me up, and they're like, well, Robert, what do you think about this? And I'm like, you know, this, and I, I said, this is not the Japanese colonial era. I don't understand why we have to, why kids should have to learn, you know, in school in a foreign language. I just don't. Yeah, this it, isn't they, a colony anymore. Right, well, that's why I said. I was like, you know, like, you know it's, like, it's not the Ilje Shidega Aninde. Why are we doing this? And uh, that actually quote got on the cover of, of Hungary 21 yeah, magazine. Yeah. It was actually one of the kind of the highlights of you know, my life, which is kind of sad. Um, <laughs> but so you mentioned presidents. I mean, I, I tell me. And I like the guy, by the way. Yeah, I, just, <laughs> but I think of uh, the, the sort of original sin of English language culture in South Korea was um, the appointment of Lee Seung-man because right. he could speak English right. as the first president. You know, they could have said, you've served your country, you, you've... It's time. Maybe we'll get someone else. But uh. well, it's not just that. But also, I mean, um, I mean, if you want to go into the history of it, I mean, part of the problem is that I, again, I'm not a his, I, I'm not really an expert at anything. Even you know, my actual job. I, I'm not, you know, sometimes I, I question my 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 ability to do it. But um, I mean, if we're going to go into historical reasons, I mean, I think during the the the, night, the period between 45 and 48. I do think that people who were competent in English did get uh, something of a, uh, they were a kind of, how, how should I say this? They, they got an, uh, probably more power than they should have had just mm. because they could deal with, you know, we could, during the U.S. occupation, they could speak to the, the people in charge. And yeah, there was Yi Seng Man, who, not, mm. you know, obviously married to, not an English speaker per se, but yeah, a uh, Westerner. A yeah. Westerner. Right, and he did speak English, right? So, yeah, I mean, there is that. But um, I think, you know, I think the big problem started, you know, in the, in the mid-'90s when, we, when, when uh, uh, the, uh, the, the, the late uh, Kim Young-sam uh, started really pushing the, uh, the, the globalization thing. It's like you've got to learn English, got to learn English. And, I mean, okay, to be fair, I mean, English is a useful tool. I mean, I yeah. do think that its place as a global language of communication. I mean, in English is not the first. Obviously, you know, in the, you know, before that it was French mm -hmm. and whatnot. So, I mean, this is not the first time that we have a situation like this. Um, uh, I mean, currently in Korea, um, 20 to 30-year-old Koreans really high on employment. Right. Um, they might be able to speak English, but is that going to help them get a job? And if they study and they don't speak English after all that, it's definitely not going to help them get a job unless... Interestingly enough, they can score high enough on one of the tests, which something Colin and I talked about might not actually test your English score, just whether or not you can score high right. on a test. Exactly. And, and it, look, I don't think English learning English in and of itself hurts you, but it depends on how much effort and how, you know how much effort that you're, you're you're exerting to learn it. If you're if you're spending so much time that you to learn English that to the detriment of other skills, yeah. then 
there's no point. The thing you're good at, you right. know, it's probably something else. Right. And also, I mean, you know, I mean, yeah, learning English is good, but there's a lot of other languages that, you know, Koreans, you know, need to, you know, Korea needs to develop a pool of people who can speak. Uh, you know, Chinese, obviously, Japanese, Mongolian, uh, you know, Arabic now, because there's a lot of Koreans that are, you know, working in investment projects in the Middle East, Spanish. Right, there's a lot of languages that you, know, you need to develop a talent pool for. It's not just English. I, I'd love to hear from from Travis, someone who's worked in the ESL industry, if you will, for quite a long time. How have you seen it change? You actually, interesting. You came here. Your first job you mentioned was teaching kindergarten. The the industry. What one thing I noticed about the industry that's changed is, um, you know, going back to Im Young Bak administration, they opened up all these um, English villages and. They had all these foreigners coming to teach in public schools, and I actually got caught up in that. I taught in public schools here um, when Im Young Bak was president. And if we look now at what you know, what has that accomplished? What what has has the proficiency level gone up? I would argue probably not. Um, and it, these foreigners were being we were very well compensated. I had a nice um, you know one room apartment in um, the Sungshin Yode area, a very beautiful view of the city. Um, but the problem was I was seeing seeing some of these kids for for no more than forty minutes a week, and in there's you know thirty five children in a classroom with forty minutes of English education, and if they're all getting that in a school of you know five or six hundred people, it's it's really not beneficial to them, and, and they're spending a lot of money to do it, and they're doing it, they were doing it throughout schools all over. Um, the same thing with the English villages, you go there for a week, you study. Uh, what are you going to learn in a week? And and it costs a lot. I've, I've visited these English villages, and it, it was a huge, you know, these huge investments that they put into them. And now they're all going bankrupt. Yeah, one um, just closed. Yeah. yeah, I think the one in Paju is is changing. They're they're going through some uh, changes. I'm I'm thinking there's a few others that have closed. I think maybe the one in Suyu has shut down as well. I had a friend from college who was um, into acting and theater. That was her major. I was broadcasting. She worked at the Paju English Village, and she um, was an actress in plays. So the kids would come and be like, hello, everyone, today we're learning English, doubly do. And then they would do these productions, they would write them, they would do all their own um, you know, uh, costuming and all that stuff, and it was a great position for her. She left after a year and is now an actress, I believe she was in California, went down to Orlando. Um, and I was so impressed because that was so different than your typical ESL position. But perhaps when you get to a point when your friend from college is an actress in English plays at an English village, maybe we have jumped the shark. <laughs> and maybe now we're seeing the results of that. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think it's, they, they realize that with a lot of the, you know, they've they reduced the numbers of teachers with SMOE, which is the sole Metropolitan Office of Education. They've, they've slashed those jobs because it's a waste of money. Or they've realized it's a waste of money. Um, I teach right now at one of the biggest corporations in Korea. I teach um, uh, middle-level management guys, like VP level. And to, in order for them to jump to the next level, like executive vice president, they need a certain level of English proficiency. The problem I see with that is a lot of them are doing domestic trading. They're, they're working out of Guangzhou, and they're, they're dealing with domestic partners. So they're not ever having to speak English, but the corporation is making them reach a certain level in order to be promoted. We have one guy out there. He has spent, I think this will be... 30, he's going to be, be done 30 weeks of English education training by the time this year is over, and he's, he's pulled out of his position to do this, and he hasn't really improved in 30 weeks, and he probably doesn't need to improve. He's, he's at the level where he can be understood, but for the position he wants in his company, they want a certain level from him, and I don't know if he'll reach it, um, and, and I don't know if it's worth, worth the money for him to do that. 
Colin, I want to give you final thoughts on this. You talked about this among the, you know, the, the exam mm-hmm. to get into college here in South Korea and how English is such a large part of that. On the podcast where we discussed this, we talked about what you would like to do uh, to the Sunung, and where do you see this moving forward? Well, I, I touched on that a bit earlier, the removal of English from the Sunung. I mean, that would, it would certainly be. But then the question, whenever I bring that up, the same question comes up, which is what do you replace it with? What will then provide enough variation? Uh, what will provide a big enough standard deviation to sort students into the strict hierarchy of colleges that, uh, that exists here? I mean, but it's... One of those things, you mentioned this on the podcast, is that you're, you're then up against not just the, the English portion of that exam, but the English language industry at that point. And it's such a machine that I, I don't think you can throw anything in, into its tracks that's going to turn it over. Although we have had some, I mean, there was the CEO of Wall Street English committed suicide like a little before we recorded that podcast. So you can sort of start to see the wheels coming off the wagon on this, can't you? I mean, you've watched the news a little closer than I have, but... Uh, there's sort of, we're starting to see, it's, it's not, uh, we're starting to see smoke come out of the, uh, out of the engine a bit, right? I, I would love to hear if anyone has a couple comments. Um, usually when you deal with, you know, foreigners in South Korea, the vast majority of foreigners in South Korea are actually Chinese, or at least the largest group are Chinese. But when you, you say understand. foreigner in South Korea, it often means Westerner, and then that will mean native English speakers or Westerners. Yeah whoever fits under that title who can speak in English to you know, be part of that group. Um, and obviously this, this podcast, Korea and Korea FM, is in English. So um, uh, when I talk about this, and as Colin just mentioned, when this comes up, sometimes there is some kind of like, hey, like lay off. Like this is my job. I came to South Korea. I work hard. I don't want the industry to go away. But I think if we're looking for the best interest of not only South Korea, but also the, the poor students who go through this system and the people who are working, as Travis mentions, who are still part of it, it's a conversation that definitely needs to be had. Um, and and I, would, I would love to hear people's thoughts on this, if anyone wants to. Got one back there. Yeah, um, I just wanted to say that you know, English is the most difficult language in the world to learn. I was uh, at the Defense Language Institute um, about 25 years ago trying to learn Korean. I spent 52 weeks in an intensive course, and I have a... I have an aptitude for languages, but still I didn't, you know, I was fluent enough, but uh, after 52 weeks I wasn't in native English speaking level. So to expect a man to, to for 30 weeks on a sort of part-time course to become fluent enough in English is, is a, um, an unreasonable expectation. And because it, it is even more difficult to learn Korean than it is to learn Chinese or Persian Farsi. And I mean, I feel a little bit ambivalent. I understand, I hear what you're saying, you know, when 20 years ago when I came here, there was no English anywhere. So I think mm. the English language programs have helped people here become, you know, more uh, fluent in English. And I work in the, um, in, in the book publishing industry. And I mean, I, I, um, I, as I said, I feel, I feel ambivalent about, you know, like it or not, English is the, the language that my writers need to know in order so that we can promote them. You know, I, I work with writers of all different countries all over Asia. And unless we can find a book deal for them in English, the French won't take it, or the Germans won't take it. So English is the, the seal of approval. And I hate it, but it is a fact. It's a fact of life. And so, you know, I, I represent Asian authors. And so unless they can speak English a little bit, we can't bring them out to literary festivals and have them reach an audience as well as they could if they did not. You know, to have a t- translator there is not the same. You know, I've seen Shin Kyung Suk speak. I've seen Ms. Han Yuju speak. It's, it's easier for mm-hmm. English audiences, for German audiences, for French audiences to understand somebody when they're speaking English, even if it's 
you know, little bit than to have somebody there with a translator. That's absolutely right. Writer is one of the, those jobs, I think, uh, that's, you really should be piling a lot of energy into English. I mean, even if you're writing only in Korean, just to get an understanding of language itself, I, I feel like my English writing has improved a lot because of studying other languages. So a Korean who's interested in studying English, you know, sacrifice everything to learn it, of course, but uh, for the whole population to be required to this sort of very inconvenient level to learn it is, sure. is uh, more problematic, I think. Sure, I mean, not everybody's a linguist. Not everybody's able to learn languages, absolutely. And, and it's, it's, that, it's that case in every country in the world, isn't it? If mm. you're able to learn another language, then it will help you, but it shouldn't be a prerequisite necessarily for you getting ahead, I right. understand. Or it doesn't need to be English. It could be That's whatever language you're good sure, at. You know? sure. Something that you kind of ties into your comments, something that Colin loves to talk about, and I'm sure Robert would like to throw in as well, Korean translated works. We, we've seen some success uh, over the past however many years and some recent success with The Vegetarian. Yeah, yeah, which a friend of mine, Deborah Smith, translated. Uh, and that's, of course, it won the Booker. And uh, I was up here on the stage a couple months ago interviewing Korean writers who've uh, had their works translated. Um, but it, it does seem to be Korean literature's moment. If it's going to have a moment, it's now. So that's right. That, and it's, uh, it is getting translated more. But uh, you know, as, as we just heard, some writers can speak English, some can't. And uh, it's, uh, writers here, don't always, they haven't always internalized how uh, necessary it is to communicate directly to an audience outside your home country if you want to be translated. You know, the sort of getting a, you know, America loves its writers to have personalities and uh, it's hard to get the gauge of a personality of a writer who only speaks through an interpreter. Uh, final comments on this topic, yeah, Rob? You're kind of ambivalent, I mean. Um, that word's going around a lot. Yeah. yeah um, an afternoon of ambivalence. I mean, don't, don't, get, don't get me wrong. I mean, I think, for example, with the vegetarian, I think that's great. But at the same time, I mean, so much uh, with the vegetarian, so much was writing on the translation. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, if it hadn't been translated, nobody would know it existed. Mm -hmm. um, and um, yeah, I mean, again, I know. Don't get me wrong. Again, again, I, I, I get the the importance of translation. I, I don't do literary translations, but I, I have worked as a translator, so I, I know it's a difficult job, and I know that you know uh, that the art, the translation itself, is a sort of art. Mm -hmm. Right. But. You know, I, I, there is something that I think is kind of problematic with the fact that for, you know, people who don't speak Europe, for example, not just English, but don't speak a European language, you know, for them to get recognized, you know, in, is, is, is difficult, right? Um, and, yeah, I just, I don't know how I feel about that, whether it's just simply a reality or whether we need to, you know, maybe look at the way we, we do things in terms of uh, literary criticism or just you know, the way we promote literature. I believe we have a comment question in the audience. Right. Uh, I think one of the problems is uh, the, uh, uh, there's so much money involved in the street. Absolutely, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, I was talking to one of the uh, primary school teachers, and I, I, I was like, because one, one of my um, children was going to that school, and I was like asking her, uh, why? Why is that the children? It takes like almost a year to go through all the phonics at the school, and and I and I said, well, doesn't it take just one month, to, you know, to teach the children, you know, the phonics? I I can do that, you know. It takes just two weeks, you know, to go through all the phonics or teach all the basics. And she said, well, no, no, no it takes uh, 
one year. Yeah, according to this curriculum, <laughs> it takes one year. She goes, year. well, let me show you. Here's the book they use for the first yeah. three months, then the new book you have to buy. Yeah, and she said, like, you know, so we teach like one sound a month. And I, oh, my gosh, you know. Well, why is that? And she said, because we have to use these textbooks. Ah, I knew it. it. See, yeah. there it is. Yeah. There it is. And I said, well, well, why don't you use this one that I use? You know, it only takes you, you know, just one month. And she said, no, well, we can't do that. And I thought there was a big problem there. And also, I was talking to uh, someone that I know who's uh, currently preparing to immigrate to a, to a, a country overseas. And she's been studying IELTS. And she, she asked me, oh, I think this is such a good you know, test. And I wonder why, why Korean people don't study this instead of um, TOEIC. Mm -hmm. And she, she said, uh, some, someone else answered and said, well, that's because if you study IELTS and get a really you know, high score on IELTS, you get lots of more opportunities. You get to immigrate to different countries or you get to get a job overseas or you, you are given a lot of opportunities. Whereas if you are good at on, you know, get, get a good a high score on this, you know, other test, you, I don't know, maybe you get a promotion within the country or, you know, something, but you don't really get to go overseas. And, and obviously the government doesn't want, <laughs> want you to go overseas. Mm -hmm. uh, so mm -hmm. they don't really promote IELTS. <laughs> but, you know, and also I think there's also a lot of money involved in the other industry. Mm, so I think that's a, a big problem. You touch on one issue as well there, which is that the kids get started so early in English. They kind of get put into English before they speak Korean very well. And it's, I think it's, it's not much discussed, but it's obvious um, that the level of overall mastery of language has, has it's been a bit stunted here. I mean, just because if you're not that deep into your native language, you don't even realize a high form of expression exists. Uh, and you, everything is just so rudimentary in every language you learn because you only, you only got so far into Korean, which is, it seems to be the case with the generation coming through school now. Um, I mean, Americans are... It's my, my, one of my complaints about America is that Americans are often not very articulate, but here the source of the problem is different. It's just if, if you're made to start learning a foreign language right away, you sort of get your skills in your native language get uh, kneecapped to an extent, which is a shame. Yeah, we could, we could talk the rest of the show about this. This is a, it's a great discussion. I, just, I, yeah, I encourage people to think about this industry and what it means for the country. I, I've, I've, oh yeah, we have another question. If we pass the mic, um, I, like I said, you know, I lived in Germany, I lived in, in Columbia, I've lived all over the U.S., mostly large cities, and then my home of Iowa. And I've never encountered this, this, this concentration, this focus on on a subject that just doesn't seem like it would pan out for so many people, or the way that they handle it doesn't seem like it's the way that it should be handled. Um, yes. Uh the English in Korea, um, I agree with Colin that is is well, it is is similar to cancer <laughs> at a certain point. Um, but there is a general tendency, like um, these days, that like uh, in America or well, wherever the English-speaking countries, people would think that when they see any migrant, um, that they get uh, they get too confused with their English-speaking skills as their level of intelligence sometimes. So this kind of like is global trend somehow like I mean like um prevailing like um misconception I guess. Um and at the same time in Korea we have um I really agree with 
your point. I did my homework that I listened to one of your podcasts. Thank <laughs> you. Then, Nicely um, done, Colin. <laughs> yes, and then um, I really agree with you that in English is the one of the uh, main um, means of internal competition. This country is so ingrowing that every, there are so many uh, talented, smart people, but they're competing each other for a very small number of jobs and a small size of market. So the English is one of that, and I'm, it's a shame that it is English, not math or economy or other <laughs> uh, subject. So, yeah. Um, I, th I think you're right. I mean, it's, you see a lot of, it's from the outsider's perspective, and we're all outsiders up here, you look into Korea and you see, as you say, uh, you just see Koreans spending so much time, energy, and money to, to clamber over each other, to, co to compete with each other, when if a fraction of that energy was put into you know, building things, making things, doing anything but competing with other Koreans. And you know, there's so much talk about the global Korean, and there's, no, there's nothing less global than being focused on fighting with your countrymen. I mean, this in, internal, like, it's, it's, it's hard to comprehend for a foreigner, I'll say that. You brought up a very, very good point. Oh yeah, another uh, comment. Uh, thank you for uh, moving the microphone along. I'm from a very small town in Iowa, and um, yeah, I've kind of made my peace with that. I actually miss Iowa a lot. But growing up, you know, I would say it was rather boring, and I felt like you know there wasn't a lot going on. Uh, but there's some nice things about Iowa. You know, different topic. Um, but in Iowa and a lot of other places in the United States, if you show up, if you speak with an accent, you fall into a certain category in someone's mind. So what I always tell Koreans is that, and, and this is my advice for, for whenever I've lived abroad, since I moved to Germany, I kind of figured this out years ago. It doesn't matter what your vocabulary is. It doesn't matter even what you're saying sounds like a native. And people will think better of you, or they won't think poorly of you. So that's my advice. You know, I, I don't teach English here in South Korea, but when people talk to me, I say, sound like I do, sound like what this person from the UK sounds like, sound like what this person from Australia sounds like. That is what's most important in daily life and meeting people. Absolutely. Fake it till you make it, the most American way. There we are. I, we have another comment, yeah. I'm sorry, I, didn't, I haven't done my homework because I only found out about this event uh, a few hours ago, so <laughs> forgive me if you've already answered this question. But uh, my interpretation uh, for now is that you are suggesting that it's not necessarily a good thing that English is this one language where people you know, ha have to learn in order to be able to communicate together across the world and wherever they are. Uh, but I guess my question is, what, what would you suggest instead if if it's not English or any other language that ha is this one language where you know, everybody has to learn in order to be able to communicate, do you have any suggestions on what would be the best way for people to communicate across the world together? First off, I just want to answer for myself perhaps different opinions, but I don't think that learning English for global communication is bad. Um, I think that, as has been pointed out, learning it as Colin said, to compete in South Korea with other South Koreans or, or forcing someone to learn it for a job where they don't need it, that's bad. I'm very lucky. I, I'm a, you know, from the United States. I speak English in what is perceived as to not have a foreign accent. That's really great for me. Um, but if I was, with my experience, if I was in South Korea growing up, I wouldn't want that to be my goal if I didn't want to use that in my life. Um, but obviously, if you do speak English, that's, that's great from a global perspective, sure, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a good point you raise. Um, I, I don't really... You're, you're right. It, English is conceived as an international language nowadays. Um, I, I don't quite buy it as that. I mean, it's, it's, it's a useful language if we're, like, buying things in stores across the world. But um, 
I mean, we're, we're all native English speakers up here. It's, it's when you hear an, often when you hear a non-native English speaker speak to a non, another non-native in what they call globish, it is not a recognizable, it's not the English we know. Um, and it's, there's the, some form of English is useful in certain contexts across the world, but I don't know. The existence of an international, bottom line, you're never going to communicate with the globe. Uh, and it's, uh, I, I'm all for sort of focusing on what cultures you do want to communicate with and focusing on their languages, but uh, the idea that there is a global language or that English is going to fill that role in a, in, a, in a meaningful way, I mean, it's just, the English you hear across the globe is just, it's stripped of nuance. I mean, it, it's, I'd almost rather speak in, I'd, I'd rather deal with my own crappy skill at other foreign languages than hear sort of what happens to English when it goes abroad. Uh, but it's, you know, if you want to buy something when you're, when you're, when you're on a world tour, English is very helpful. I agree. Right. I mean, you know, as for what, you know, in terms of what language should be a global language, I mean, I don't think that's, uh, yeah, yeah, English is, obviously, it's the, it's, it's the, it's the one that's most spoken as a second language. Um, it's the language of the internet, which I think is, what is it? It's Spanish? Is it Spanish as a second language? Really? Yeah, I'm not, I think as a second language is English, but right. Spanish, I was going to say, Spanish is another very strong contender when we're talking about learning a foreign language. Sorry. I'm not just talking about English, whether, you know, whether it's English or French or any right. other language that becomes the global language. Right. I'm just wondering if you think that, uh, you know, if you don't think it's necessary to have that one language where, where anybody from any country just knows a little bit of or knows how to speak to communicate, uh, if that model is not, right. is not ideal what is? Well, I mean, I don't think it's bad to get, if you have, for example, a language that's so globally dominant, I don't think it's a bad thing to learn it in school. Um, I mean, a lot of countries around the world learn it in, 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 in school, even the Japanese who are, you know, as you pointed out, um, are kind of you know, rather hesitant to speak it or loath to speak it, but they still study it. I mean, because again, it's, it's a useful thing. I think the big problem what we have is, you know, is within Korea itself, Basic, you know, uh, predicating your success in life, including what colleges you get into, how you get promoted, whatnot, based on learning that language as opposed to, you know, just learning it so that when you know, when you go on vacation to Los Angeles or wherever you you can ask for directions. Hmm. Let's have. But uh, frankly, by the way, if I didn't speak it as a as a native speaker, I probably wouldn't learn it. It's. Uh, it's an ugly language. I mean, it's not, <laughs> I mean, it's not, but it's not ugly like German. I mean, German is so ugly, it's cute, right? <laughs> German it's, is it's, a very it's interesting not like language. French. I mean, it's, it's just. It's Kanish nor ambition Deutsch sprechen. It's grammar is Byzantine. It's just there. Albert, uh, for our final comment, Travis, on this topic, let's take it from you. Uh, address what has just uh, kind of been said here. Um, Rob's hatred of English, apparently, and then uh, our, our comment here from the audience. I, I would want to respond to your comment there. I think I, we're not claiming, I don't think anyone's claimed here that English shouldn't be learned by South Koreans. The, the problem we have is that it's overly relied on as a determine, determinant of success here, and that's a big problem. I mean, it's, it's not the, you're, if you're only focusing on English as being the, the thing that makes you successful, you're, you're weeding out a lot of other people who are actually very successful at other things, and they're not able to focus on them because English is such a big issue here. So I think, you know, people, people are, you know, multifaceted, and, and if you only put them into a box, you know, you're good at math, you're good at English, okay, you must be good, you can go work at this company. I think that's really limiting, and it limits, it limits the growth of the society. That's, that's I think, the overall claim we're making here. 
And then after the live podcast, we're going to get tackled by a bunch of Hagwon teachers out in Myeongdong. They're waiting outside. That was the joke I made to Colin when we talked about this. I'm like, I'm not going to stand next to you at public events, yeah. things like that, yeah. But uh, our final topic, um, we spent a lot of time uh, just on English, but rightfully so. This is a huge deal. But something else that I personally believe in that I mentioned a little bit at the beginning of uh, the event here, um, and something that Travis and I, along with a, a mutual friend of ours um, who's uh, Korean-American, now living um, back, he moved to D.C. Um, you can get that entire podcast conversation by subscribing, checking us out on iTunes or at koreafm.net. I don't think I've mentioned that. Our website is koreafm.net. I'll have to edit that into the beginning of the show. <laughs> um, recently, Travis, something that was brought up uh, in the Only in Korea Facebook group, which you created, um, you now have a team of administrators that uh, police it, if you will, try to keep people from saying, you know, very atrocious things, but you do allow people to have opinions as well. Um, there was a video that was put out by Arirang, um, which is a very ubiquitous, well-known uh, media organization here in South Korea, receives a lot of funds um, to basically not only do content here in Korea, but to promote Korea in the world. Um, they didn't do that so well with a recent stream of, uh, recent set of videos called Aerial Korea, and that got brought up in uh, the group. So why don't you talk about how that happened? Um, actually, one of our administrators, um, I think I can give his name because he doesn't live in Korea. His name is Daniel Lee. He, um, he worked with Arirang, so I think he followed them quite a bit on social media, and he came across this video series called, uh, what was it, Aerial, Aerial Korea? Aerial Korea. It was a whole series of uh, videos they produced. Or apparently were produced by a third-party uh, company that they had paid to do so. And after, Arirang branding. Um, yeah, Arirang's name was all over it, but they, um, apparently the, the way it works is they have production companies who do this stuff, and then they, you know, they pay them for doing it. Um, this series of videos was notable, though, because of the English in them, and we just got done discussing how English wasn't so important, but in certain aspects, when you're promoting yourself to the world, it is. Um, the series, the, the one video that got the most attention was a, a video that focused on Busan. It was beautiful footage of Busan via drone, you know, drone footage, and it seemed like they were just slacking on the English. Like, someone had written a, a script, and they'd given it to a native speaker to read the script, um, and the person just read whatever was written in front of them, like, verbatim, without even attempting to edit it. So the English sounded natural in the video, but it was totally, you know, the grammar was all messed up, and it seemed like the person just didn't even care about their job anymore um, and just read what was presented to them because a paycheck's a paycheck. Um, apparently, someone in Arirang noticed this discussion we were having in Oink, and they decided to pull the whole series of videos off the, the YouTube page. Um, we, we managed to get a few people who downloaded the videos before so we could have some proof of this, and then we discussed it on the podcast. Um, I guess, you know, one positive thing I see from that is that, um, you know, media companies in Korea are increasingly becoming more aware that people from outside of Korea are looking at their content. And um, they did the right thing. They pulled the series, and they, I, they might not have pulled it from their website, but they pulled it from their website. So YouTube. on the podcast, if you check it out in the notes, it has a link to where you can still see the video on the Arirang website, but they made it private, I believe, also with all the other videos in this series on their YouTube account. So if you go to their like video on demand at the Arirang website, you can still watch it. That link's in the podcast. But yeah, completely pulled off of, of YouTube. 
um, it seems, from this discussion that took place in Oink. I think um, Busan Haps picked up on this yeah. uh, too, and that kind of influenced them a little bit because it was starting to kind of spread around the internet. The series did kind of go viral. People were posting it on their wall, you know, saying, look at how ridiculous this is. Do you I remember know. any lines from this, this video? I haven't seen these videos, so I'd love to hear. It was like, um, Busan, a famous... <laughs> Port city in Korea, or you know, famous <laughs> facing the west. City. Yeah, yeah. It, it was it's just west. weird. It was just weird. It, yeah. It, in yeah. the podcast episode, the last only in Korea podcast episode that we did, it has about maybe an hour, or sorry, a minute, a minute thirty of the actual audio in there. Um, and it's just poorly phrased uh, things. Um, words are missing. Words are put in where they shouldn't be. Still intelligible. You can tell what's going on, but it's just like, oh, it's like one of those things you would like wince. If you like, you're like, ooh, it was a little off. It was just obviously so. And if you watch the other videos in this series, it's par for the course. And the part of, you know, we do cover this kind of stuff on Oink. We, we do focus on the Korean media, and um, there, there's a lot of this stuff. There was a Korea Times article last year that had a, a picture of, you know, it was a Stanley, Stanley Cup, and it says, um, Chicago Bears win Stanley Cup. Headline on the front page of their paper. You know, it's just like, where, where is the editor? It got you know, picked where? up by ESPN <laughs> yeah. and national huh. media. I mean, so sometimes it just seems like it's it's like a watching Aryang to me is like watching a a, a low budget um, public public uh, works station from the states where they just don't put any real effort into it, and and that's a real shame to me because I I want Korea to look good to the outside world. I want you know my family to want to come visit Korea because of what they've seen in international media. So I think. On some levels, you know, th these companies are going to have to try harder and, and actually hire people who know what they're doing to promote the country here because otherwise it's going to look like amateur hour. It's just going to continue looking like that. Rob, you look like you just drank some sour lemonade. Do you want to yeah. throw in I don't here? know. I mean, I, I, for the last 10 years, I've, I've edited, um, depending on, on, on what year, one or two magazines simultaneously. So mm. I tend to look upon boneheaded editorial decisions like you know, screwed up headlines or whatnot uh, somewhat more sympathetically than most having made more than enough myself. Um, and, and truth be told, as we just mentioned, English is not the language of South Korea. This is all being made in South Korea. So I think there needs to be some context. Right. I can only imagine if they had a, a giant company making Korean media in the United States, what it might sound like. So it's a tough position to be in. Okay, well, yeah, there's, well, there's two ways to look at that. You're right. I mean, like, you wonder if... I mean, the United States does actually have Korean-language newspapers. I mean, the Jungang Ilbo, for example, has a, a local... But, I mean, just right. like Dong. I mean, it's, it's, it's right. so connected to the government. Everything is going on there. Or, or, or the more, actually, to, to be a little bit more... To make the, the analogy stick a little bit more, you can imagine if there's a whole bunch of white guys in Korea, you know, who spoke Korean as a second language, running these companies. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of there's going to be some weird things going on simply because, you know, you either lack a cultural context or or you or or, or, you, or language skills. But uh, there are, there are other issues here too. I mean, I do a, lot, a fair amount of copy editing uh, for Seoul Metropolitan Government. Uh, and uh, you know, sometimes we get stuff that's really well translated and we don't have to do a whole lot. And other times it's just like, you know, send me the Korean language original so I can, you know, I, I might have to retranslate it myself. Just do this so, again. It's so bad, right? <laughs> By the way, yeah, so I mean, um, and it's not just the language. I mean, sometimes there was one 
for example, one thing where we got where uh, they were talking. It was like uh, like a guidebook or something, and uh, they were talking about all the famous people that had visited the spot, and they were talking about. Uh, Seoul Children's Park, and it was talking about Michael Jackson going there, and <laughs> and they were talking about Michael Jackson was famous for his love of children, sure. and he definitely was. And this clearly didn't set off any red flags in the uh, in the department. So um, yeah, I mean, a lot of times they'll hand them out to thirty. You know, for example, you know, city governments or whatnot will send it out. To, will ship off their uh, their translation work to third party uh, companies. Um, and then the, the co- they, in turn, farm out their copy editing or whatnot to another company. So things get complicated, and you know, depending on who you're dealing with, the quality can you know, either be really good or really bad. Um, you, know, uh, you know, also, yeah, I mean, I think, for, and it's not just with stuff like this. I mean, I mean obviously, there's the, the ISOL you. Um, I like I Soul You now. I got to tell you, though, I was not a fan of I Soul You, but I have completely turned around. I Soul You got Korea so much press. And if you looked at it, it wasn't completely negative. It was just like, oh, look at that. I Soul You. Huh. Yeah. yeah. But it, it, wasn't, it wasn't all bad. And I, I, I'm okay with I Soul You now. I think it's fine. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm glad you think so. Because, <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, you know, I, I heard there was one foreigner on the committee that, that decided that. Um, and you know he he goes around with a, a bag over his head now. Um, <laughs> it, it was me. Um, so, yeah. So if you have complaints, you can, after the meeting you can bring them to me. Um, <laughs> but I mean, the, the committee, for example, that did that. I mean, it was a big committee, and it's it was you know they worked hard on that. But you know, ultimately, it's a whole bunch of non-English speakers. That's the thing. I though. mean, I, some of them did speak English it's, as a second it's not, language. But. It's not that people don't work hard. I know people that work at Adidang. I know people that work at other broadcasters. And I'm questioning whether or not they're the people that need to be working hard in that situation. The person that was on the podcast with Travis and I, good guy, awesome guy, not bringing him down at all, but he has worked so much in South Korean media before coming to South Korea, zero media experience. He is a native speaker. He's also Korean-American, so he has a visa. So they can hire him. It's not a problem for them. And they think, oh, we have a native speaker. And yes, he is a native speaker. He's probably one of the better people that they could have hired. But I know plenty of people, both Korean and foreigner, that will work in the media here in South Korea, obviously dealing with English, no experience no, no, no guideline. Like I'm a journalist, I'm a voiceover artist, and so I'm going to have some pride in my work. And I'm not saying everyone just takes a paycheck, but a lot of people just take a paycheck. Right. And you get what you pay for to the person that you hand the check to. You might be paying them a lot, but if you're handing it to the person that shouldn't be doing it, you're going to get right. these results. Right. I mean, you know, and you know, these, this kind of English too. You know, for example, coming with slogans, doing PR work, it's PR. Right? There, are, there are companies that get paid a shitload of money because they know how to do these things. Right? They're not that easy to do. And it's not just any... I mean, even if you had a room full of native speakers, I mean, God knows, I'm, I'm horrible at, at copywriting. But and, you wouldn't have produced that video. <laughs> you would not. That was an obvious oh, yeah, mistake I mean, I upon mistake yeah, that was, upon mistake. Yeah, it it's crap. not a small thing. It's not a misspelling. And it's right. not... I'll even give you the Michael Jackson thing. That might be hard for someone, and maybe even someone from a not North America might not pick up on something like that. But yes. what you see is not that. That's not the majority oh, yeah, of what I, I see. Right. Yeah, I mean, right. There's a lot of... And it's not just the people like who are... You know, it's not just the Korean side, too. It's also, yeah, there's a lot of guys who you point out just 
picking up a paycheck. The guy who did the Ari Rung video, I mean, it was clearly a, a guy who was a native speaker who, who was doing it. I mean, he should have said, look, I can't do this. And Dan brought that up. He <laughs> right, said that I mean, he's done projects where he said, you have to fix this. I'm not going to do this because people are going to know I did this and I don't want my name to be attached to this. Applaud him. That's amazing. But I, I don't think that happens nearly as much as it should. I, I think sometimes just these the the hierarchical structure of some of these companies, the guy at the top says, oh, no, no, that's, that's good. It looks good. Let's do it this way. And people just kind of go along with that, and then you get videos produced like this one. And I think sometimes these companies, that, you know, they hire English experts for a reason. They need to loosen the reins a little bit and give give some, uh, you know, delegate a little bit of authority and, because it's their language. So they're, they're, you know, they're able to do it. Um, on one comment that people said is, you know, this this video, it wasn't produced for... for for uh, native English speakers, it was produced for Koreans to enjoy, which you know I guess that could be true on some levels, but um, they are they are trying to send it out to the world, so it's it's part of it. Once again, something I'd love to get some input on if people would like to. Barry, we haven't heard from you. I would I would love to hear what you think yeah, about all this. What's Barry Welsh's opinion? While people think that up, I'll I'll bring up this larger theme, which is you know we're all Korea loving foreigners sitting here. Uh, and it occurs to all of us at some point or another, they have a very appealing country here. We wouldn't be living in Korea if it was not an appealing country, yet why, why, can't, why do they struggle to promote it to the world? Why is it so hard to communicate the virtues of Korea what, or of Seoul or of anything, or of Korean food? Why is it such a struggle? Even like we all love it. Why is it so difficult for Korea to communicate what's so good about itself? Long sigh there from Robert Kohler. <laughs> I mean, Again, because we don't have that much time, I mean, this is a very long discussion. I could go on for hours about this sort of thing. I mean, I think fundamentally, I think a lot of it is because Koreans themselves don't really know what's so good. I mean, I think I, about the country. No, I'm, I'm not trying to... No, I, I completely understand. You, you talk to a lot of young Koreans or even middle-aged Koreans and you ask them, well, what are some of your goals? I, I would like to leave Korea. That's, yeah, and they that's, go, that's they a go common to these... thing you'll hear. Have you seen where they go? Like, they go to America to these shitty excerpts. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, they go to places that seem so much worse to us than Korea. Now, that being said, I do think things are changing. I think, you know, the, the domestic tourism industry is really taking off. And, uh, you know, a lot of places are starting to get discovered here by the locals, right? And, you know, once the locals start discovering places, they're, they're able to, you know... You know, there's a saying that you know, if you if you really want to promote it, you need to love it yourself, right? And I think that's starting. To, I think the situation is getting better. I mean, I, 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 tangibly so. But yeah, I think for a lot of Koreans, I mean, it's like why why would anybody want to come here? You know, there's you know other places more interesting. Um, so yeah, I think that's that. But also, I mean, even our hometown. I mean, you're from Iowa. I'm from Long Island. And, uh, you know, thanks to Wikipedia, I now know that, you know, Long Island actually does have a lot of cool stuff there. I didn't know that when I was living there. And if I were, you know, in, in the, uh, the, the, I don't know, the Long Island Tourism Board, I'm sure there is one. <laughs> and, and, I, and you asked me, you know, uh, you know to, to promote this, you know, you know, the God's country that is Long Island to <laughs> Koreans or whatnot, I'd be like, I, I don't know, Montauk Point? You know, you know, I wouldn't know. Well, Long Island has four seasons. Yeah. Four whole seasons. <laughs> right. It does. 
You hear and, that in uh, South Korea, but yes. no, that's a decent point. It, right. It, 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 it's hard hard pressed for me to say very great things about Iowa, although I, I do I do long for it at times. Um, grass is always greener on the other side. Um, but one thing that I, I sort of mentioned at the beginning here, as we wrap things up, because Barry is giving me the signal apparently. Um, <laughs> Oh, okay, okay, sure. Do you okay, see sure. somebody I, with a... See, I, even native English speakers will misinterpret each other. Um, one thing I just want to point out here, I think it's a good time, I really like Korea. And sometimes people will ask me, you seem like you're coming down on Korea a lot. Maybe that's just my nature. Maybe that's the nature of news. Or maybe that's the nature of, of the podcast that I've created with Korea FM. Um, and so I just want to point out that I think all of us really like Korea. And while some of the things we might have said here might not have sounded like that was the case. I really do enjoy Korea. And what it boils down to, the easiest way for me to describe it, is that I want Korea to look good to the world. I don't want my friends and family back home in the United States to continually ask me, why do you live in Korea? (laughs) Because they do. And sometimes it's hard for me to even send them a video to be like, this is why I live in Korea. Because I'm afraid if they search, they're going to find that Ariel Busan video. (laughs) I want to be able to show Korea to people, and I want Koreans to be able to show Korea to people. Um, and, 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 and some things need to happen, I think, for, for that to be a little easier. And I, I think that, that's what I'm trying to do with Korea FM. I think in a, one way or the other, that's kind of what all of us are, are trying to do, and I, I just wanted to point that out. I, I really do enjoy Korea. I'm very pro-Korea. There, there we are. I, I think that having critical eye on things once in a while is, it's, you know, people will say, oh, you're negative towards Korea. It's, it's not that at all. It's, it's, it's having a critical eye and recognizing that things could be better and they should be better sometimes. And, and that's important. And I think that, you know, if, if you look at my Facebook group, some of you would probably be like, oh, my, these people are horrible. They're negative people. But really, it's, and there it's, are some assholes. There are some assholes yeah. in there. There are. And it's the internet. The internet, the nature of the internet is it's full of assholes. And, and there's None of a, you people, by yeah, the way. You're uh, all very nice. Not, not any of you, but, you know, it's. You give some people a level of anonymity, and they're going to act like that. And it's a very small segment of people that actually act like that. Um, There's a lot of really cool people who are interested in seeing Korea grow. There's a question. I'm sorry, did we have a question? I don't mean to ignore people. There we go. That was actually... Hello, everybody. My name is Will Brooks. I'm the founder of SoulWeaver.com. I have my own podcast. Will has a great podcast. That's right. together uh, once or twice a chance, so... I uh, really want to thank you guys. I've been consuming your content. I've been in Korea since 2001, with the exception of a year. I've been consuming your content for a long time. Even the Marmot's Hole, that was out ages ago, and I didn't even really read blogs that much, but I'd heard about it. Um, Travis, that really was my question to you. Just uh, With all the, I guess, negative publicity that, that Oink gets, uh, how would you defend it? I mean, I've, Somebody rage quits Oink, that group, maybe once a month, or it was once a month for a while. What would you say to those people who just spout off, leave two paragraphs worth of "you guys are assholes" and then leave the group? What, what's your response to that? I think they're just not looking at it from the whole perspective. I mean, you, you scroll down a page on a given day, and there's going to be people giving a variety of perspectives on Korea. You get people who have great interactions with Koreans and feel the need to post about that, and that'll get like 200 likes. Or you know, you also have people who are like, "look at look at this guy's parking job. What the hell?" You know, maybe they get 10 <laughs> likes or something. You know, and that that you move on, but. I would say, you know, it is a it is a place for people to kind of vent uh, about life in Korea and living in, living as an expat in a foreign in a foreign country is a difficult thing. So there there are people who complain, but there are also just as many people out there who who are very positive um, and see see Korea for 
for what it is as a whole rather than just you know this this microcosm of like whatever hate that they have in their 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 themselves for Korea. There are people like that, but it's not it's not a majority of people. Do you think there's a? I mean, this is a too big a subject to, to broach. But I mean, before I came to Korea, the the, the only reservation I had was about the strain of negativity among expats, which is, I mean, let's be clear, it is a stronger Definitely strain than any exists. other country in Asia. Uh, what's, what's going on with that? Why, why, is it, why is it known to be a country that the foreigners here dislike? I have my own theories, but I'd like to hear those of people longer than I am here. I'll let you start. Um, I don't know that Korea is more disliked by expats than any other country in Asia. I, I, I would agree with Colin. I think it's definitely up there. Well, I, I spent time in Cambodia. There's a group on Facebook called, um, I, I think it's like only in Cambodia, basically the equivalent of Oink, or there's a tit. This is Thailand. They post the same kind of content. It's all expats living there. They're posting the same kind of gripes. Why do Thais do this? Why do, why do Cambodians do, do this kind of thing in their, in their daily life? Um, now, expats are a little bit salty here in Korea. They, I mean, they, they, I don't know why that is. So I, I think it's Let's just... frame it in terms of Northeast Asia, Japan, China, Hong Kong, yeah. uh, Korea. This is the one that people don't like when they come here very often. I think you might agree with that, right? If we rule out the Cambodia well, sometimes. Part of it, though, is the experience that some of them have here, right? You, you, you always hear people say, oh, my, my, employer, my employer screwed me out of my wages. How many times have you heard you know, someone complain about being cheated by their employer in Korea? If that happens to you, you come here as a 23-year-old and you're cheated by your employer, you're not given health insurance, they steal your pension, how are you going to feel after a year in Korea? It's, it's partly the perception created by uh, employers here that cause people to have such negative feelings towards the country. Um, so if, if, you are, if you are taken advantage of as a young person here in Korea, it's going to leave a lasting impression on you and you're probably going to be one of these people on my Facebook group that's out there complaining every day. You're going to turn into the clownisms guy. What? Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I guess just real quick before we lose sight of, of Will's comment, um, I, 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 I don't know if I would... I, I try to defend Oink a little bit because I think it does... Some of the things that get posted there get more outside play. than There, there are a lot of positive stories. But, Will, I will tell you, I didn't post an Oink for such a long time. I even now am very aware of what I write in Oink. I even think about, is it okay for me to like this? Because there are, there are things there that could rub people the wrong way if they don't understand what it's like to, to have many people get kind of screwed over by their bosses and then feel frustrated. But also, you can say something there and people might tear you apart. You can get killed up in there. Yeah, I mean, people yeah. can be very vicious. And that's not an oink problem. That's an internet problem. But it does happen in oink. Right. So I, I just want to agree with you. Even as someone who, I, you know, I do a podcast that says only in Korea with Travis, who Travis is, is not the group. He runs the group, but he's, he's not the group. Um, even I have been a little hesitant to, you know, say that I endorse the group or even post in it every day. So I, very good point, Will. Uh, right. Rob? Now, I, I, to go back to the, the, the why the ne expat negativity, um, I, I, having only lived in Korea for the last 20 years, I don't know, my, my knowledge of other expat communities is based solely on what I read on the internet. And, and I'm not sure if Korea is that much, uh, Korea, uh, Korea's expat population is that much more negative than, let's say, Japan's, where, you, I mean, I, you have sites like, what, like, Fucked Gaijin and stuff like that that I understand are, you, pretty, you know, not exactly, you know, uh, you know pretty much, you know, that are cesspools of negativity. At least they learn the language first. Some of them do. Yeah. Um, I, more just than here. for sake of argument, I think Korea, if you split it in half, Korea would easily fall on the angry expat no, scale. No, I, I certainly agree. I mean, it's having seen enough 
incestuous expat communities, especially in, in provincial cities where things can get really negative. I mean, part of it is that, um, especially compared to you know Japan, maybe Korea is you know up until recently and it still is maybe a little bit rougher. It's a little bit you know it's still finding its way, and you know and it's you know still trying to find its way in terms of dealing with a non-Korean population. Um, you know, I mean, a friend of mine once said, uh, you know, nowadays you hear a lot about multiculturalism in Korea. You know, Korea's, for not, Korea's foreign-born population is something like 3%. Now in Korea, that's a lot of foreigners. In the West, that's an ethnically homogeneous country. Um, and as a friend of mine once put it is, you know, the more you hear Koreans talk about, you know, multiculturalism, you realize, the more you realize that it isn't a multicultural society by any stretch of the imagination. So I still think, you know, so as a foreigner coming in here, maybe you're not, especially if you're coming from a, a country like the United States or Canada, you know, it's, it, you're going to be, you're dealing with ethnic nationalism, you're dealing with an ethnic state, you're dealing with a society that is not all that used to dealing with people like you, and I, especially if you're young, that could create, you know, that could lead to a lot of bruised feelings, a lot of misunderstandings, especially if you don't speak the language. And and heaven knows, I mean, nowadays the situation is a lot better. A lot of foreigners are learning Korean. It's one of the things that's quite amazing. Young young foreigners, young Westerners anyway, are coming here, you know, who are big into K-pop and this stuff, and they they they're really into the culture. That's why they're coming. Before that wasn't like that. It's, a lot of the negativity that I see is not the younger people coming here. It's people my age and older who are, you know, <laughs> experienced a little bit of the old Korea. Now, I have fond memories of the old Korea. I often, you know, because I you know, kind of built that way. I'm always like, ah, you know, what's happening to this country? You know, <laughs> you know people with their long hair and you know, <laughs> foreigners won't get off my lawn and stuff like that. <laughs> but, but, yeah, I mean, but a lot of people, I, I just notice a lot of negativity. And another thing, too, is also, I have, I, again, I'm not a sociologist. It's just a pet theory of mine. But um, I, I do think that expat communities do take on something of, they start to resemble in their own way the societies where they are. For example, in Japan, I know a lot of Japan, uh, like long-term Japanese expats that really buy into you know, Japanese historical revisionism and stuff like that. And I'm like, how could you believe that? But I mean, they've been there for a long time, so they start to believe that shit. <laughs> um, in Korea, I mean, not to, you know... Not to engage in, you know, not to trade in ethnic, ethnic stereotypes or whatnot, but it's, it's by and large not a happy, smiley min joke. Um, <laughs> especially online. You know, you go into the comment sections on neighbor.com or anywhere, it is a lot of negativity going on. And I, so I don't, I do think that kind of rubs off a little bit, even if it's, you know, you, you, without, even if nobody realizes it's happening, it's, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, I, th I do think, you know, like, why do foreigners bitch? Well, everybody bitches here. It's kind of bitching is something of the national esprit de corps. It's like England. So, which, again, being from New York, I, I kind of appreciate. But um, maybe, you know, um, we're not all that – maybe we're not as dissimilar with the locals as we think we are in that case. Uh, real quick before, oh, ooh, second time question. If, if anyone else would like to throw in, I would, I would love to give you the opportunity. I'm sorry if I missed anyone's hand while uh, we were engaging in conversation here, but I think we're about to wrap things up. So at least one more comment. And then once again, thank you all for, for coming. 
Um, I hope you check us out, uh, creafm.net, and then uh, check us out on iTunes and any way else that you listen to podcasts. Yeah. I just have a comment that I uh, think will add a little bit to the conversation. I uh, am originally from Iran, and uh, you know, Iran obviously doesn't get a lot of positive coverage in the media, and it's known to be this scary country to visit. Uh, and I have recently been added to this Facebook group called uh, See You in Iran. And, uh, you know, it's been, I don't know if you've seen it, but it's uh, sort of a platform to uh, encourage people to travel and see the beauty of Iran and all of that stuff. And I think I was just actually right before uh, I started talking, I was reading their sort of info page on how they have set the tone for the group. And uh, obviously there's a lot of, uh, you know, foreigners posting on that group of their experience that, you know, visiting Iran and all of that. And I think generally seeing the group, uh, group postings, it seems that uh, although it's the internet, uh, there's a positive vibe sort of uh, circulating in the group. Uh, and obviously, you know, there's, there's a lot to bitch about about Iran because there's a lot of things that are, you know, out of the ordinary, especially for foreigners. So, uh, you know, I was just thinking that maybe, although it's uh, you know, unavoidable, unavoidable to, to see people come and post like, negative things and set the tone to a negative sort of vibe, but I think potentially if uh, the info page on the, the group is uh, you know, modified in, in certain ways, and you would know better, uh, obviously, but uh, I just compare the two groups and I see that uh, it seems like they are very similar in goal, but that info page has actually really changed the dynamic of, of the group and how people engage with it. So I just wanted to add that and as, a, as an interesting... I, I think, though, that, yeah, that's a good idea. But I, at the same time, I think that, you know, it's not necessarily... Um, you know, that's my, not my goal to really have it be a positive group. I, I really want to look at Korea from... from a perspective of all angles. So I, that, that is kind of what I was going for with the group. I would like more positivity in the group, um, but I also want to present Korea as it really is sometimes. And I, I think that's people need to, to see the country. There's like a that. Facebook group called, I think, Foreigners That Enjoy Living Foreigners in Korea. Foreigners Who Love Living in Korea. Living in Korea. So that... Oh. There we are. Welcome. Oh, wait. Yeah, you should have said so. Oh, my missed opportunity. Your hand's been down this whole time. But that, that group, I think, is, is, it would probably have a, a more similar vibe to what you just described for Iran. Um, but, but yeah, to, but once again, to not, to not say I'm like a huge fan of Oink because I think there are some issues, but I agree with Travis. That's not the goal of the group. Yeah, yeah. And, and living here in Korea and working in the media, I'm definitely against censorship. And I'm, yeah. I'm letting for people to say how they feel in a decently respectful way. For sure, yeah. I think actually the group that I'm talking about is also not necessarily all positive. Uh, it's actually, you know, there's a lot of shit in Iran and that gets pointed out, especially by foreigners. And I think that's great that it's honest and people should know where they're going and what's potentially going to happen, you know. And uh, I'm just saying that generally I feel like the vibe is seems like it's more positive than when you're, what you're suggesting it is in Oink. So it's not all positive and, you know, there are things that they have to deal with. But I'm just saying that that did make it a little bit of difference. Yeah. No, always, always, like we, we talked about before, being critical doesn't mean you're, you know, you're a bad person. It's always good to be critical about everything. So more critical thinking, I think, would be useful not only here in South Korea, but anywhere. So I appreciate those comments. So I think we're going to get kicked out here. Um, thank you guys all for coming. Once again, I, I just want to thank Travis, Robert, and Colin, and of course, Barry. Um, if anyone is interested, um, we did an event gosh, like last year where we had a bunch of bands in Hongdae for like the opening of Korea FM. And since then, I've been like hiding the few shirts that we have. Um, so if anyone would like a Korea FM shirt, I did bring a few. 
So like this excellent shirt that I'm wearing right now, which my girlfriend tells me is too small for me because I've gained a little bit of weight recently. I have small and large sizes. So uh, if you're interested, talk to me afterwards. And thank you again to Barry, and thank, uh, thank you all to all the people who spoke, not only here on the stage, but uh, in the audience as well. Some of that. Yes, and uh, thank you all for coming. Oh, there he is. Uh, yeah, sorry. Thank you all for coming. Uh, it was wonderful to see all of you here today. Uh, there's actually some free copies of one of the magazines that Robert edits just outside the door. So if you want to pick up one of Robert's magazines, please do so. Uh, and this is the last event until uh, September. So have a wonderful summer and see you all later in the year. Take care. Bye-bye.